Welcome back, everybody. We are here with another episode of Check the Net, an Impact 89FM college basketball podcast. I am your host, Josh Guprode, and I am joined today by my co-hosts, Colin Pearson and Kylie Tabler. We have an exciting episode this week as we look at the transfer portal and the biggest off-season news from so far in the college basketball world. But we've also been very busy on campus. We're heading towards the end of the semester, you know, working on projects, working on exams. Guys, how have things been going that way? I've been procrastinating a bunch, so not great on my <laughs> end. <laughs> you see, I've been the exact opposite. I've just been like, let's get it done so that I can procrastinate later. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's been exam after exam. I'm an engineering student, so oh man, I expected it. Busy guy. That's that's tough news. I didn't know that, but that's actually uh, that's good. That's that's tough, man. That's a lot of projects. You've been telling me about exams and exams and how your professors give, kind of load you up. And oh yeah, now, now it makes sense. I had a buddy back at Akron that was a uh, chemical engineering major. Yep, civil engineering just just watching that. Yeah, just watching that. He also was trying to take Arabic at the same time. Yeah, uh, Arabic's hard. I I think he just hated himself, but I I don't know. But poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But as busy as all of us, the transfer portal has been going off on both sides, men's and women's. We're gonna start on the women's side because Despite how things have been in the past, the transfer portal has actually been popping up more and more as a major factor in women's college basketball. Uh, It was originally, you know, with NIL and how all that stuff shook out at first and all the money that has has been on the men's side. You know, we really saw the biggest impact on the men's side. But, you know, as we're seeing the women's game set all these records in terms of viewership, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, money, uh, money being brought in by the game, you know, the, the transfer portal and NIL is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. What are your guys' thoughts on the transfer portal at large and how it relates to the women's game? I think it's, this year's a very odd year for, um, the transfer portal kind of on the women's side, because you don't see a lot of, of the women's uh, teams, you know, transferring any girls transferring. So I think it's just kind of interesting, especially since there's a lot of higher profile players, in the in the women's uh, division that are transferring, so I think it's like it's very interesting. You see, I don't know about you guys, I I really enjoy the transfer portal for like freshmen sophomores, but it really kind of bugs me when like junior, senior, and even some grad students try to transfer. Especially, you know, they've got one extra year because of COVID. It it really kind of bugs me that like these players are kind of giving up on their old teams. But otherwise, I'm. I'm feeling pretty good about the transfer portal this year. It's been pretty active for the women's side. For sure. And so, Kylie, going back to what you were saying a little bit, how the how we've seen the higher profile players start transferring a lot more frequently than in the past. Do you think that's directly connected to the impact of that money? Because as we've seen with other things in the women's game and just women's sports in general with some of the the gymnasts and other athletes that have gotten huge sponsorships through NIL, the the, the most marketable players are the ones that get those exclusively large deals. Mm-hmm. And so those would be the players that would have or seem to have the largest interest in transferring to maximize on that money. Yeah, I think I think it plays some part, maybe not a great, like the biggest part in it. I think that for a lot of them, if it is concerning NIL money, it's because they're trying to find a team that will get them those deals because they'll be helping out their talent. They'll be, you know, helping them get better. I think that's more of what it is. They're trying to find a good fit for them. I don't necessarily think it's about a lot of the NIL money, but I think it, it if it plays a factor, it's very small. For sure. And, and, and 
with that, so both of you seem pretty lukewarm, I want to say, about the portal. I, I mean, mm-hmm. Colin, yeah, Colin you, you seemed like you didn't really like it, especially with the older ages. I know we were talking pre-show. Kylie, you had some circumstances where you didn't really like it. I, I love the transfer portal, so we're, we'll, we'll have some disagreements there today. <laughs> but I, I just was interested because, I, I mean, especially on the women's side where, because on the men's side, we've seen all these changes in effect for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Do you see anything different with the trajectory on the women's side, or do you think it's going to take things to a pretty similar place to to where the men's game is at with it? I think it's definitely becoming more like the men's game in that perspective, and I think that I think it's a good thing. Honestly, I think it's a huge step because of the popularity of women's basketball. It's increasing by years, so I think that it will continue. But I think it's also a really good thing. I, in some ways, agree. I do think it's becoming more like the men's transfer portal. However, I also feel like the men's transfer portal is changing a lot, especially with NIL money. For sure. I feel like Mm -hmm. on the men's side, it's definitely affecting more right now. And uh, we're kind of going in a direction where we've never seen the transfer portal go. Right. It'll be really interesting to see how it plays out in the next year or two. For sure. And and so with that, let's dive in a little bit. So... There's a pretty long list on both the men's and women's actually this year of of transfers, people that have already chosen their new destinations, people that are still in the portal. Let's start with people, players that have already chosen their new destination on the women's side because there are a lot of those. And with your guys' reservations about the portal, there's one I do want to start with because not a marquee player, but a, definitely an interesting situation. Lexi Keys, starting starting player for Oklahoma State, starting guard, transferring to Oklahoma. Dang. How do you guys feel about that? The rivalry transfer there, that's, I mean, that's like if Michigan State tried to pick up Hunter Dickinson, it just would never happen. That, it's kind of surprising to me. And and, uh, should should move along a lot faster because that's non-conference now. Oh, it is non-conference now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. So it's with it it being a non-conference transfer, that changes how quick she can play, all sorts of things like that. But it's still a huge rivalry. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where Oklahoma State and Oklahoma not being in the same conference, that doesn't take away from that rivalry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's still a huge rivalry. And that's one of those types of situations that we've seen get backlash, the rival to rival transfer. Yeah. So. No, I think it's very interesting. I don't, mm, I don't necessarily support a rival to rival transfer, but I think that if Oklahoma is going to give her something that Oklahoma State couldn't, and then I think it's 100% justifiable that she go there. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about the athlete. Yeah. You know, Especially with the move to the SEC, I think they've got kind of a bigger, almost a bigger um, camera on the SEC. Well, especially in the, in the women's game, yeah. Women's. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially in the women's game with how we've seen LSU really take off, South Carolina be the staple that it is. Like, it, it just seems like a better, or a, not maybe not better, but more easily marketed conference. Yeah. Yeah. For There's sure. Definitely on the women's side, especially. For sure. Uh, so what are, what are some of the, the transfers that have already chosen their new destinations that have stood out to you guys? Mine is um, Sedona Prince, and she was, um, she's been at Oregon for, I believe, four years, and she's transferring to TCU. She's a Texas native, so she's going back home um, for her fifth year. I think it's very interesting. She's been hurt for the past, like, two years, I believe. Um, did not play. I don't think she got in at all this year. I know she was battling injury and things like that. So I just kind of think it's a little bit interesting to see her moving. I picked this mainly because I played against one of the freshman bigs at Oregon. She's oh, from okay. Toledo, so I used to um, I used to play against her, and she had a really great season. I think she was freshman of the week four or five times. 
She had a really great standout season filling in for Sedona Prince. So I think that might be a factor in her leaving. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. We haven't really seen her play in a few years. So it'll be interesting to see how she fits in with TCU. It seems like a lot of people are going to TCU yeah. <laughs> on both sides. Must be something in the water or something. I, I don't know because <laughs> because I've seen a couple of, of the men's transfers end up there. I know Jameer Nelson's son has chosen TCU already. Obviously, Sedona, Sedona Prince on the women's side. Colin, I'm looking at your notes here. You've, you've got a lot of stuff here. Yeah, it dang. seems like a lot of transfers really interest you. Why don't you just break some of those down for me? Yeah, so uh, I was actually just specifically looking at transfers to one team, though. Interesting. Um, I do see the, that, yeah. All three of these players are going to Baylor, who was 20-13 and 13 last year. They're already ranked in the top, in the pre, or in the way too early top 25 for next year. Yaya Felder from Ohio who started every game for the last two seasons, 22 points per game. We got Madison Bartley from Belmont, 11.7 points per game, pretty key player from Belmont. And we got Jada Walker from Kentucky, who started almost every single game. She's a great shooter. She usually has a lot of assists in a game. All three of those players are going to Baylor. And I just find that really interesting because Baylor did lose a good, good few players, but they're just putting together, that team's going to look completely different next year. And they are already looking like a good team before that. So, so you're you're expecting it seems like a, a pretty nice bounce back from Baylor there. And we were just talking a little bit that it seems like a, uh, that Big Twelve might be up for grabs a little bit. I mean, do, do you think that oh, Baylor absolutely. could make a big run next year to to that extent and return to kind of the form we used to see them at, or or is it more of just you know a slight improvement with all these transfers? You know, we'll see. It kind of depends on how all these players work together. I think they do complement each other watching their play styles, but I think if Baylor can, they can all work together really well, Baylor can have an easy take of the Big 12, maybe even the national championship. Yeah, I, I think you make a great point there too. One of the biggest things with transfers, in my opinion, is is not talent as much as it is cohesiveness. Because yeah. there's such a smaller timeline for getting everybody on the same page, getting everybody you know, on board with the playbook and or, or, or the sets or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it and things like that. And so I, I really think that's a great point there. And especially a place like Baylor where they've already proven that they can integrate transfers before. Yeah, where, where exactly. they That's a place that we've seen on both the men's and women's side then bring a lot of transfers in from JUCO, D1, all around and have success and be able to integrate those guys. I think that's a really great point there and definitely a team to watch out for. Let's talk a little bit about the players still in the portal because there's a lot of talent left, actually, surprisingly oh, yeah. enough, with with how we've had so many headlining stories on the women's side. Names like, you know, we have here Kiki Jefferson, Lauren Park Lane. Asia Davis is one I really wanted to talk about because I think she's incredibly interesting. Leaves Northern Illinois after one season, averaged 15 and 12, roughly, you know, on great shooting percentages. She's 6'1". She's dominant inside. Seems to me like one of those players that obviously it seems like she just went to too small of a school. Maybe yeah. she was under-recruited. You, you never know how those situations go. Maybe she was staying close to home. For sure. Whatever the circumstances were, she's clearly made it known that she's looking to level up. Mm-hmm. She's looking for you know more playing, not more playing time, excuse me, uh, more of a spotlight program that can showcase her more on TV, You know, make, make more of a deep run in the tournament, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And... Clearly with the stats, I mean, in her productiveness, because she actually averaged a, a, a little bit higher than her season averages in conference play, which was impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, points were about the same, but rebounds went up to almost a full rebound a game to over 12. I mean, she could pretty much choose wherever she goes, in my opinion. Uh, she wouldn't get the same role everywhere, but mm-hmm. I mean, 
I, I could see her being a useful piece anywhere. I, I mean, yeah. w- that's that's one of the big ones for me because also it's one of the ones where because it's not like a high, high profile name like a Haley Van Lith, yeah. like she isn't getting the buzz nationally. And so there's not like, like I was looking before the show, like on the men's side, Tyler Perry just shortened his list. There's no story about Asia Davis shortening her list because mm-hmm. she played at Northern Illinois. Yeah, no, no one's asking that question, but they should be. Right. Uh, exactly. So with that, where where do you guys think might be a good spot? You know, who who needs a dominant big like that? I don't know. Just about any team out <laughs> yeah. there. Well, right. Honestly, Iowa, yeah. That's kind of the point, yeah. South Carolina, those are the two well, teams. Well, no, Iowa I... just lost both, uh, at least one of their bigs. That's true. Yeah, she got drafted. That's um, true. WNBA draft was not too long ago. She, I mean, I could see her fitting at Iowa, honestly. Any team that needs a, a dominant big, and there's not many dominant bigs in women's basketball. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, so, having that type of player is such an X factor yeah. on the women's side. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at what Angel Reese just did. Angel Reese, exactly. Aaliyah Boston. I mean, you've got these yeah. girls that are just insane. So, honestly, I think she'd be a great pickup anywhere. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting for sure. That's definitely one we'll have to keep an eye on. Colin, moving to yours, you had Lauren Park Lane leaving Seton Hall. Talk to me a little bit oh, about absolutely. that. absolutely. So Lauren Park Lane, she averaged 20.8 points per game. She was 6.3 assists per game. And Seton Hall, pretty much any time she was hot, they won. I mean, she was very, pretty much always their highest point scorer and their highest assist person. I mean, you pair those two together, you've got yourself a player that can dominate and work well with others. Yeah, it's, re- it's really I mean, instant offense. I mean, it, when you have somebody that can drive the scoring and the scoring of others like that, uh, I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. a huge presence. Yeah, and she even had a few games where she was top of rebounding. She gets uh, good on defense. I mean, that's a player that, A, Seton Hall, you don't want to lose, and I'm sorry that you're losing. Her. Yeah. I feel very <laughs> bad for you because it's she, nice definitely, you she definitely yeah. was a big help on your team, but any team any team would be lucky to have her. Mm -hmm. I think especially with her style of play, I don't know if she'd fit fully with a team in the SEC, but definitely a Big 12 or a Big 10 team. I think her style of play would fit very well in either of those conferences. So you you do think, though, that there's a little bit more of a unique fit there with a skill set compared to somebody like an Asia Davis? I do, I do. Just because of how the SEC fits, it's a little bit more physical and Lauren Park Lane really does a good job of like staying out of that physicalness um, from what I've seen of her. So I think she works, she obviously works well in the Big East, um, but yeah. I think Big 10 and Big 12 have those similar styles of play, even Pac-12, like you go to any of those conferences and she's going to be just as dominant, if not more so. Yeah, I, I mean, and like we were just saying, instant offense, it's one of those things, it's kind of like Tyler Perry, who I just mentioned, you just plug him in, you figure out the, the the stuff around the edges later, but you know you're getting somebody that's basically a coach on the court. Exactly. And, you know, Lauren Park Lane is no different. Uh, you have Kiki Jefferson down here too, and that was Sunbelt Player of the Year. And that's another thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit later because that's something else that we've seen a lot of is these Player of the Years from these conferences transferring. Mm-hmm. Especially and, from the small uh, conferences. Yeah, especially yeah. from the non-Power Fives. The group. Or, well, I guess there's no group of five in basketball because there's a larger amount of conferences but especially from the non-power fives like you just said and not just players of the year but also we've seen all conference players transfer Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. a higher level jake heidbretter going to clemson all mountain west kiki jefferson right here sunbelt player of the year that's kind of shocking 
when you can be the best player in a conference. You have even written down here one year of eligibility left. So yeah. is that one, you were saying earlier that that kind of bothers you. Is this one that stood out to you as particularly kind of egregious in that way? It it really does because she has been such a dominant player for James Madison for so long. And with one year left, I mean, she's made a name for herself already. With James Madison, she probably could have gone WNBA this year. She has one year of eligibility left. It's a COVID year. It's just an extra year that was added on. And oh yeah, so I so really she shouldn't really have any. She it's, shouldn't it's really have a any te- It's really a technicality. Left. Yeah. And she really, with how she's played and how much attention she's gotten, she could go WNBA this year. And instead, she's chosen to go to transfer portal with eighteen point three points per game, eight rebounds per game. I mean, she's a completely dominant player, and it just it bugs me that she went transfer portal rather than taking that next step. I don't know. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend her on this. Sunbelt, like you said, small a bit of a smaller conference in comparison. So why not spend your your final year of eligibility going to one of those Power Five schools and like getting more of a look? Because I feel like those schools get more of a look in the WNBA draft rather than the smaller schools. So honestly, I I it's I think it's a smart move because she could be just as productive with a bigger team and potentially with some other girls around her that can help her out a little bit more. I I don't think it's a bad thing. I really don't. I feel like personally, if I were to make that decision, it'd be too big of a risk because you already have all of these stat lines that pretty much say you're going to the WNBA. You might be a little bit of a lower round, you know. You wouldn't be first round, second round. You might be like fourth, fifth, sixth. But you'd still be going to the WNBA and easily be able to prove yourself there rather than risking going to a SEC, Big Ten, Big East. And if you don't fit there with your one year of eligibility left, what are you going to do? I can see that. Maybe she also wants more of a challenge, like a big challenge, like competing, getting That's that fair. drive back That's to fair. compete. If she's being dominant in her conference and on her team, maybe she needs that that motivation, that kick forward. That's fair. Well, and we see too, uh, I, an example I think of is a guy like Mark Sears when he transferred from Ohio to Alabama, where sometimes players like Jefferson or Sears can be dominant in a smaller conference, but there's extra smaller things about the game they still need to learn mm-hmm. that they're not going to learn in those smaller conferences at that lesser level of competition with sometimes a lesser level of coaching. Not all the time. There are some incredible coaches across every conference, Mm -hmm. but I think the consistency takes a dip the further you get from the big conferences. I don't think anybody would question that. That's a fair point. Yeah, and and I think that, like, you look at Sears, his stats dropped across the board. Basically every category went to Alabama, but his stock went up. And it's because he got more exposure. The stats meant more because they were harder to get. And... He also was doing it for a team that had championship aspirations and not a team that had maybe MAC championship aspirations at, yeah. at best. But I just I think of it that way. I do find it interesting that the the different scenarios where we seem to feel the transferring or not transferring is okay. Mm-hmm. We do have one more here that is one of the bigger ones. Kylie, you wanted to wrap up with Haley Van Lith yes. graduating but still leaving Louisville. Yes. I think that that shocked me a lot. I was like, there is no way she's leaving, but she is. It shocked me, especially with a 19.7 points per game. That's crazy. That is that is a huge, especially on a Louisville team. I mean, Louisville was good this year. So honestly, I was very surprised. And I will be interested to see where she ends up. Because wherever, wherever she ends up, she's going to do great. I mean, she's going to be really, really big for that team. And I think it'll be very exciting to watch her play. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, I also on here, which is another one that interests me, um, Lauren Betts, who um, she's leaving Stanford. And I was surprised. I saw a few a few players leaving Stanford. Um, it was a great program. Um, she was the number one recruit in the class of 2022. And I was really interested to see that. She thinks she averaged like like nine minutes a game, five points. She didn't play a lot. But that's one of the scenarios where I don't necessarily agree with the transfer portal is after your freshman season leaving already. I don't think that she had enough time to get her feet wet. And I think she really could could have stood out for Stanford and had, you know, great years of production. I mean, Stanford had some really great players um, enter the draft this year. So I just think I don't think her leaving made, made a lot of sense. But I know there's other factors, just people leaving from teams but i would have liked to see her stay there a little bit longer and see what she would have done yeah you wonder with how many how many players are leaving stanford on the women's side right now Mm -hmm. if it's something with that team dynamic that just wasn't going right this year yeah yeah it's interesting to see baylor and stanford kind of have down years but then rebound in different ways Mm -hmm. through the portal where stanford seems to be kind of (laughs) hemorrhaging players and hemorrhaging talent whereas Baylor seems to be kind of catching their stride and recovering pretty well. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting to see how all that stuff shakes out in general on the women's side is with the portal being such more of a kind of unpredictable beast on the women's side because we just don't have the type of repetitive structure where we've seen like every year on the men's side, some of the same things happen. Yeah, Some of the same things go down. And, and with that, you know, we have had a lot on the men's side already, but before we really dig into some of the biggest movers and shakers so far, I do want to just get a read on, I mean, is it essential to the men's game at this point to hit the transfer portal, to be active in JUCO, stuff like that? We do see teams that don't do it and still win, but I feel like there are so many more examples of teams that do it relentlessly mm-hmm. and then win more. Yeah. Where do you guys kind of land on the importance of it? Do you feel that it's mandatory or do you think it's kind of being overblown on the men's side of things? I think uh, this it's tough. I am a huge supporter of the transfer portal, especially with um, JUCO and smaller schools. I think it's a great thing for those types of players that are doing great things there and dominating to get better offers, better exposure, and higher levels of the game. I'm not super keen on it from the Power Five going to other Power Five. I think you're getting just as much exposure unless it's a per- more of a personal thing. I can ki- I can completely understand that. I don't think it's necessarily essential to the success of any program to dip into the transfer portal. Personal experience, Michigan State doesn't typically dip into the transfer portal. I know we, we've had some really good transfers um, that we picked up, but we typically don't, and we still had really great teams. So I think it honestly depends on the situation, depends on the player, and it depends on like where they're coming from. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I do want to bring up the Power Five going down to smaller conferences to get more playing time as well. I completely agree with that as well. Mm-hmm. For some of those players who have been on the Power Five team for two three years, just kind of sitting the bench, maybe on scholarship even, but just kind of sitting the bench, not getting playing time, and knowing that if they went down to just a little bit of a smaller conference um, that they can really kind of show themselves and make a name for themselves, especially if their team makes the tournament. For sure. And well, and with that too, the high school scouting and all that is so ridiculous because some of these guys, especially on the men's side where you have guys hit like foot and a half growth spurts and crazy mm-hmm. stuff like that, where it's just like, you just don't like, and I'm not saying it's never happened on the women's side, but I can't remember like a, a like a woman's player having like an Anthony Davis type growth spurt at that no, age. I don't oh, think or so. like or yeah. like even like I'm gonna date myself here, but like a Zadrunis Ilgauskas 
S. Grossberg, uh, where that he was a point guard. The age. How old are you? He was a point, he was, we'll get to that. But he was a point guard. <laughs> you know, he was a point guard in Lithuania. For those who know, and he, he's a seven foot three guy when he got to the NBA. <laughs> but you just don't. I just feel like the high school thing. Just back to that. It's so ridiculous because you see guys that are like six 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 seven in high school. They're monsters. They average forty points or thirty rebounds. Yeah, a, a guy like Al Jefferson comes to mind. Who average? I want to say he averaged. 40 and 20 in high school, like per game, like those guys get five stars and four Mm -hmm. stars. And it's like, you have no idea how good that guy is. That guy might be playing in D five. You just know that that guy's averaging 40 and 20, you know, Mm -hmm. it it might be D three. It might be D two. And it's not that those guys aren't good, but it's just like, there's so many different levels. And really the best players half the time don't even play for their high school teams because they're playing on AAU circuits or travel circuits, or they're going to IMG IMG or Huntington prep or Spire, all this stuff. And it's just like, I, I just don't, think that the there's any read on how good these players are coming out of high school we see it every year and i think that's why i agree with you so much colin about the guys leaving the sec teams or the big 10 teams and going to those smaller schools because it's just so hard to predict i mean you you have a guy like i think of a guy there was a guy we had at akron i'm not, I'm not going to say his name because i don't want to i don't want to call him out but <laughs> he he was a very highly touted recruit uh, went to wake forest this is a, a pretty solid yeah. basketball yeah. school Got some playing time as a younger guy. Didn't really crack the rotation. Transferred to Akron. Didn't crack the rotation there. That there was other stuff going on, which is why mm-hmm. I'm not going to name the guy. But it's just, it's just like he he had the talent in high school to somebody to go to Wake Forest. Oh yeah. But exactly. by the end of college, he couldn't even play at Akron. So that's what I'm saying. Like it, mm-hmm. it, there's so much, and there's so much mental stuff with these guys too, where it's like guys mature so much differently than some, you know, than some other players. Like you might have a guy with a background where he's uber mature and ready to lead a team as a freshman. Mm-hmm. And then you might have a guy like, I don't know, like Hunter Dickinson. <laughs> where it's just yeah. like, I mean, I don't know if that guy could be 45 and lead a team. I just, I just don't <laughs> think that's what he wants to do. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I just think that's one of those things. I do have also here, before we really dive into it, I have a little note about the JUCO where it seems like it's kind of started to be a real feeder system where mm-hmm. the JUCO guys almost go to JUCO just to go to the group of five than just to go power five. Yeah. Like it's, it's not really, bit. it's not really viewed as like, Oh, I'm going here to play four year, four years. Excuse me. It's viewed as I'm going here. I can play here for now, then jump here. And eventually I will end up somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see guys transfer four or five times or uh, yeah. however many crazy times. But you know, what are your guys' feelings on that? I know, Kylie, you kind of talked a little bit. You really like the Juco stuff. Yeah. Colin, do you have any thoughts on that? I know you, you you seem like the most against the portal out of the three of us. Where do you land on the Juco guys? I, I'm good with the Juco guys. I get what they're doing. You know, you know, kind of just moving your way up the ladder, and that makes perfect sense to me. For yeah. sure. Sometimes you're not ready right away out of high school, and I think going to Juco to kind of get some form of college exposure, like, oh, I'm playing college ball, and kind of just realizing, getting some coaching. I think that's it's productive. It's very productive for those guys. For sure. All right. All right. Let's dive in. So we're going to do a similar thing to when we were talking about the women's side. And we're just going to start with the players that have already landed. And then we're going to move into the ones that are still available. I really want to talk about Arkansas because mm-hmm. they've already done some damage. They just, as we were sitting down to record, the tweet came out from Tyler Perry, of North, formerly of North Texas, that his shortlist has been established. Arkansas is on that shortlist. Mm-hmm. And they just picked up, for, for sure, Khalif Battle from Temple, 
Uh, they also got the kid from Cincinnati whose name's escaping me, but uh, Battle is obviously the main one. Um, averaged almost 20 points a game, you know, at Temple. Mm-hmm. Very big scorer. And then, obviously, you know, the talent that Arkansas might be bringing back. I really want to talk about them because I really want to figure out where you guys land on Eric Musselman because I think a lot of people feel like he's overrated because every single year, you know, this guy is a transfer portal MVP, it feels like. Scouting MVP, too. Like, he had the Martin twins. Like, this guy knows talent. He knows ball. But, like, he just – it's its another one of those coaches that seems like he can't get over the mountaintop. He's got mm-hmm. three regular season conference titles but only one conference championship. So there might be a little regular season, postseason jitters there. But then other people say he's incredibly underrated because he's only – he's been a head coach for less than a decade. He's got over yeah. 100 wins at multiple programs. And despite the lack of – finishing at Arkansas, they're always right there. So yeah. where, where do you guys land on Musselman and potentially this Arkansas transfer class? I think I think they'll get there. I think that he is going to pull something out soon. I don't know how soon, but I think that he has the ability, as a scouting ability. He is pulling from the transfer, finding pieces for his team. I really think that at some point he will get there. I think they're going to be exciting to watch. I didn't expect them to go as far as they did in the tournament. I still think they made a pretty decent run. But no, I think that at some point it's going to happen. He's going to get there. I think I think he's a good coach right now. Yeah, yeah. He's not, I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's not quite that, at least. a great coach yet, though. I really yeah, think I he's kind of got a he's got to make a Final Four first at least. Um, I'd love to see him win a national championship before I can call him like a great coach. Mm-hmm. Um, just well, because that, uh, yeah. he doesn't, because he seems to do really well, and you know he gets these wins all the time, and you know his regular season records are almost always like good records, but he just doesn't have the hardware to back it up. It's it's kinda like ironically enough, it's it's kinda like Dan Hurley before before yeah. before this run where yeah. because you know, everybody's you know, and you know, we talked last week about how awesome it was for Hurley, but like Hurley got his first Final Four and Elite Eight and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Championship all at once. Yeah. I mean he just checked all those boxes in one one swoop. Is Perry that missing piece? I mean, Kylie, you seemed especially like you thought they were pretty close. Colin, you seem a little more lukewarm on Arkansas. It, it, but, I mean, Perry was Conference USA Player of the Year. I mean, is that is, yeah, does, does that push player. them over the top? Because their backcourt feels pretty set. I mean, mm-hmm. he should start, but it's also not a spot where I feel like they need a lot of help. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, as much as that's a great talent, like how much does that actually push the team further? It's all contingent on how he's going to gel with the rest of the team. Yeah. That is the big thing because if he's going to come in and they're not going to blend well together, then it's it's going to be a disaster. It's not going to go well. So if he gels with the team, I think they have a they have a pretty good shot of next year. That's exactly where I was in my head. I'm like, well, you know, he's a, he's a good player and like he will do great things for this team if he can figure out his spot on this team. And I think this team is kind of all these puzzle pieces trying to figure out their spots. And uh, Musselman does a good job of piecing them together, but it it kind of depends on the players as well. Yeah, for sure. And that's what we were talking earlier. I mean, there's such an added emphasis with the transfer guys on gelling right away mm-hmm. that it is almost more about fit than talent. There's still a lot more to talk about. I, I know there was a big one down the road, Caleb Love transferring to U of M, and U of M had some departures. Colin, do you want to break that down a little bit? Yeah, so that was really interesting. I mean, we see Hunter Dickinson leaving U of M as well as, I mean, a couple of other players who have kind of hinted at leaving U of M. It doesn't really seem um, like anybody wants to be there. No. I know I'd rather be in East Lansing. But. Oh, well, of oh, course. Oh, me too, for <laughs> sure, for sure. We're, we're a little bit biased, but, 
you know, Ann Arbor just does not seem like the place to be. And yet Caleb Love just committed to going there, to transferring there from North Carolina, where he was a pretty good player, you know? Yeah. Well, in North Carolina, also kind of a mess right now. Yeah. Rough, little, rough little season bit. for them. So which, which I think adds to the confusion that you seem to be expressing where it's like, he just left a sinking ship. Why are you jumping on another? <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, you you leave that sinking ship of North Carolina, and I I think they'll be back a little bit more next year. They've yeah. got a good recruiting class. Yeah. But why why U of M? Why do you think you can? Does he really think he can pull out like pull U of M back up from the trenches? Well, and, and like, it's a tougher conference. Like the, yeah. the ACC just turned in its worst year in probably twenty years. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the ACC is never. Well, obviously, this is up for, you know, we can talk about this whatever we want, but it should never be this bad again. Oh, no, it I shouldn't. I mean, Louisville was literally not even worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, of Virginia got bounced again. Duke, I don't even know. Got bounced early. They got bounced early, but to also they, they were a five seed, and that mm-hmm. wasn't like a typical Duke with all these crazy freshmen. UNC. The, the top seed was Miami, who granted made the Final Four. But they were still a five seed because they didn't really show any dominance throughout the season. Arguably, the third or fourth best team in the ACC was Clemson, who got smoked by Moorhead State in the NIT. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just not. I don't know. I don't get any of it. But you know, staying in the Big Ten, you had Ace Baldwin on here too. Oh yeah, him going to Penn State. He was. Um, for those of you who don't know, he was uh, VCU's guard, and he was Atlantic 10 Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year. So another Player of the Year. So yeah. not only was he Offensive Player of the Year and Overall Player of the Year, he was also Defensive Player of the Year, and he's really just following Mike Rhodes, which is an amazing move for Mike Rhodes. I'm a little scared of Penn State next year because mm-hmm. he's a phenomenal coach, but I just look at him being Atlantic 10 Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and go... Good for you moving up, but how are you going to fit in the Big Ten? Well, and there's a lot of individually talented players in the Big Ten. Like more so oh, yeah. I feel like than other conferences. Like like you've seen even over the last couple of years, like Nebraska Rutgers have like like McGowan's and guys mm-hmm. like uh guys like that where there's a special talent at a less than special program and in basketball those guys can win a game you know those guys can can swing a season can win a game mm-hmm. can end a, can end a season you know whatever you want to whatever you want to say and i think it's interesting when guys jump to leagues that not only are better like because i think obviously the big 10 is just flat out better than the acc right now absolutely and th- that was a 10 well, right. My bad. Pretty easily yeah. better, you know. There's no I question there. there. Correct, yeah. The A-10. Yeah, smaller conference even. But stuff like that, the, the Big Ten and the A-10, it's a huge jump. Mm-hmm. And when you have that jump, the a lot of times guys take a step back, but he's going with his coach. Exactly. So there's no, you know what I mean? Like there's no yeah. drop there. There's no, how we were talking about cohesiveness. They're already on the same page. Mm-hmm. They just He just won uh, Atlantic 10 Player of the Year and Atlantic 10 Defensive Player of the Year without that. Mm-hmm. It, it, without all that extra stuff in the Big Ten. I just really think that when you have, it goes back to the Caleb Bluff thing, when you have guys flocking to the Big Ten and other programs around the Big Ten getting better, why are you going to one that's on the downturn? Yeah, Penn State is not on the downturn. No, no, no. no, no I'm, you're right. No, and I'm saying going back to love, is. yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like looking at Baldwin going to Penn State and how the Big Ten, I'm saying, is getting tougher. Mm-hmm. It just makes me question love that much more. 
Yeah, the Big Ten is one of those conferences where consistently every year, every team beats each other. Yeah. It is a constant battle it's between like every old, single team. The old Big East, they just eat each other. Yeah, like, and that, that sinks them in the tournament for the most part because that sinks with seeding. Yeah. But, I mean, that just makes it ever ever so more competitive. Well, that's how Everyone you end up just with... beats each other up. Yeah, like yeah. Michigan State is a seven seed when they're clearly more, more talented than that. Yeah. And then, you know, you don't want to say Marquette gets screwed, but like Marquette ends up with a buzzsaw of a brand. Right. because the five seed had a lot of talent the four seed had a lot of talent the seven seed was michigan state mm-hmm. like, it, it, it hurts and that's what used to happen with the big east too i mean you would end up with like yukon or Pitt some years in the old big east as like a three or a four seed when like in any other league outside of that big east in those days it's like a 32 win team mm-hmm. exactly just kind of crazy yeah for sure kylie you, you do have yours though here you wanted to talk about Caleb Mills from FSU to Memphis, which I think is interesting because we've been mostly focused on Power 5 and larger schools so far. Not that Memphis – Memphis is a pretty big program, mm-hmm. but it is a nice shift with a guy going from a larger school to maybe a bigger basketball school but a smaller school in general. Yeah, I mean, I feel like every time I talk about FSU to anybody, they're like, oh, they're a good basketball school. And I'm like, nah, not necessarily. They had a rough year, very rough year. Um, this season so I think and them losing Caleb Mills who is their he's their scoring leader I mean he had their highest average points every game I think that's going to be a good thing for him he's going to go to Memphis and I think he's going to do well Memphis had a fairly good season this year I'd say so they um, were second in the American yeah I mean that's a right good behind in Houston my, my book, teams, that's, so. that's a good season honestly and I think it adds another pretty impactful scorer to Memphis's roster so I think that'll be an interesting one and I hope all all goes well. You never you never like to have a rough season at your school, so hope I'm hoping for better things for him next season. Well, and they got if I'm remembering correctly, they were bounced by FAU, weren't they? That yes. was an eight nine. So so yes. I mean, not only did they make the tournament, but they probably you know with any other eight nine matchup, we're going to at least move on to face the one seed. Yes. So I think they just they got a they got a bad matchup for them. Um, FAU was just yeah. insane this year, so that was a little tougher. But no, I I had them playing their one seed so I think they I think they'll be good again next year this is going to be uh really interesting next year with uh FAU moving to the American so Mm -hmm. that's now right after FAU beats them and goes to the final four we see them as in conference probably pretty big rivals now and that should be a just exciting match but yeah, yeah I, completely off topic. For but. sure, <laughs> no, no, it's it's good, it's good, it, it, it's 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 definitely exciting, and you know, there's still a lot of guys available out there. The one that stood out to me the most was Tyler Perry. We kind of already talked about Perry a lot with the Muscleman stuff, but Colin, you have Max Abmus here, which I definitely want to hear your thoughts on that because one, I kind of feel like you would be leaning towards that's a bad move for him based on what you've said already with the transfer portal stuff. But also, that's one of the higher, you know, higher profile players out there. So, so where are your thoughts on that, and what are your thoughts maybe on him transferring in general? You see, in Max Admus's case, I really do like that transfer. Okay, because he's moving from a small school that has really only benefited from him in particular. He's been—I w- I can't say carrying that team, Oral Roberts, but he has definitely been the reason they've been doing well in the tournament and the reason they made a run last year. Stinks that they got matched up against Duke this year, but yeah, it, it is a CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard situation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really do think he is the key player on that team, and he's got that leadership that a lot of Power Five teams that are kind of struggling right now could use. Like if he goes to Louisville, I wouldn't be surprised. I think 
That'd be a really good fit for him. And I think he rebuilds that program pretty quickly. Interesting. I actually think that's very interesting because I, I tend to think that Louisville is just done <laughs> for, yeah. for a while. Yeah. But I mean, star players like that can have that impact, especially in basketball where you only have 10 to 15 guys on a team instead of something like football where you can have up to you know, 60, 70, 100 guys on some college rosters, you know, including practice squad or whatever, you know, red shirts and whatever you may have. But I, I, I do find that interesting because, I mean, Louisville's problems go far beyond just the coaching staff and the players on the court. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Abmus has taken, you know, a school like, Oral Roberts to unforeseen heights and done the impossible there already. So I, I just find it interesting that that you drew that connection because if anybody can do it, it seems like Ab- Abmus might be a guy that can help stir that pot. Exactly. And the other school I see him potentially going to is St. John's. I would like um, that more. Especially with Rick Patino. I would like that um, way more. Because then you get the coaching staff where it's a huge commit as well. And he's got that leadership to lead St. John's to new heights. Patino's got the leadership to lead St. John's to new heights. Uh, if they pair up, that would be yeah. I mean, it's MSG, just insane too, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, so so it's one of those things. Like, I I think that's a way better story. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't care at all about Louisville. I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, I I used to love Louisville. Ironically, when Patino was there, Patino's not there. Louisville's garbage, <laughs> and it's just I I I hope. You are right that he goes to St. John's because I hadn't heard that so far, but that is now probably my favorite transfer portal kind of kind of wish. That's, that's completely a guess. I have not heard well, any that's, stories that's about a good, where, that's an interesting but I guess. really hope because I think he's that kind of player that can yeah. really make that difference. That's, that's an interesting guess for sure. Um, we do have one more. We kind of talked about Hunter Dickinson already, but Kylie, you wanted to talk about yeah. where he's going. I want to know where the yeah. heck he's going to go. That's yeah. like what's mind blowing to me is I don't really see him fitting honestly anywhere else. Like I think Michigan was like honestly a pretty good fit. I mean, he did some good things while he was there. I mean, he's a good player, very good player. Very yeah, good player. yeah, very. Yeah. We were joking a little bit earlier. Very good player. No, he is. I mean, they were. I believe they went to the Elite Eight last year. When he was did. playing with like Eli Brooks. I mean, he had, the, but that they had a great class surrounding him. He just had a tough year. Not a lot with him. A lot of freshmen. I think he got exposed a little bit. Yeah. I just, I'm just going to come out and say it. I think yeah. he's a great player, and I, I mm-hmm. think he's a great player, but he's a big man. And if you take a lot of the tertiary support away from most big men, especially in college, yeah. they get exposed. It's it's hard. It's hard for him to be that. It's hard for a big man to be that one player. I mean, we yeah. saw it with Zach Eady. Once, once they hit the tournament, it was done. Yeah, it, so it, it's just hard for big men. And yeah. I just don't know where the heck he's going to go. It'll be it'll be interesting because he he would be a, if for a team who needs a strong big man, he'd be a great pickup. Well, and he also doesn't strike me as a personality to go smaller. He won't. Like he's Definitely never going to go group of five. Like no. he will only go big school. Yeah. And and I don't disagree. I mean, he's a great player. Mm-hmm. He's had NBA talk, you know, his whole time at Michigan. Yeah, I'm shocked he didn't decide to go this year, honestly. I mean, he didn't have the greatest season, but honestly, if he wanted he out, I'm would have su- been picked up. Yeah, he would. I'm surprised he, did, he didn't. So that's what shocks me a little bit, but I, I think it'll be interesting. I think it's smart, though, because I think of a guy like, there's a guy Portland just signed, Jonathan Williams, who played at Buffalo the last couple of years, mm-hmm. who was an incredible player, and he... You know, didn't transfer, didn't do anything, just played out his whole time, was a great player at Buffalo. And this guy's 6'5", all, all, all sorts of, you know, prototype, whatever. And it took him until probably a month ago to even get on a roster. 
Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. Portland, who is a total train wreck by every yeah. sense of the definition. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, yeah. And that's why I don't blame guys like Dickinson for mm-hmm. just being like, I'm going to stay. Because, like, I agree with you that he's definitely going to stick in the NBA, just like Jonathan Williams did. Mm-hmm. But, like, you still have to have money for yourself yeah. before you stick. Yeah. And, like, Hunter Dickinson is a guy that can make a bunch in NIL wherever mm-hmm. he, you know what I mean? Like, oh, he yeah. can go to some other power five, make a bunch of money, and then go to the NBA. And if he doesn't land right away, he's even more comfortable. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think it's just super interesting. My um, my family is big, hard, uh, big diehard U of M fans. So, and my brother was torn to pieces when Dickinson uh, transferred. But we'll see where he ends up. I know wherever he goes, if he has some support, on on his side with the players, if he's not the the person sole responsible for the success of their team, I think he'll do well wherever he goes. Definitely, yeah, it, it, yeah. It definitely seems like if the pressure is more balanced between the whole team, mm-hmm. he excels. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, he doesn't do particularly well when everything is put on his shoulders. But a lot of guys that age don't. Right. I mean, exactly. he's still young, and this was his first season of really having that. This is the first time he's had. All of that pressure, this whole pressure to do everything. Yeah, and you know it's it's hard. So I'll never I'll never fault him for the way for. I mean, he still had a decent year, so I'll exactly. never fault him for how he played this year. But absolutely, it's just interesting for sure. I, I think that's a great point. We have one segment left. We are moving into just like last week, full court press. I am not going to run down the rules. You can go back and check them out last week. <laughs> Colin is going to start us off today. Colin. What do you want to what do you want to riff about today? What what do you want to just go off about for a couple minutes? What is what is your soapbox for the day? All right, so we talked a little bit last week about like Kylie talked about expanding the tournament, you know. And I think that's great. You know, I agree. Expand the tournament. That's good, you know. Allow some of those, you know, second, third place teams in those smaller conferences who deserve to be in the tournament because, you know, they won their conference season but not necessarily their championship. I think they deserve to be in. I also think, however, if we're going to expand the tournament, we also need to expand the number of teams in D1 NCAA. And I think that means expanding to Canada. Um, <laughs> very controversial. But we've seen it before. A lot of American teams in the past, uh, especially right before COVID, were playing games against Canadian teams. We see Canadian basketball really taking off lately, uh, especially with Toronto's success in the NBA. But Canada is obsessed with the NCAA tournament, they bid on that just as much as we do per capita. And it's really crazy to me that the NCAA hasn't even started talking about like, oh, hey, what if we invite these super good teams from Canada, that just like the winner from each conference, just invite them into our tournament and see how they do for a year or two. And especially if we expand the tournament, because I don't think the tournament's big enough for that right now. There's eight conferences. But if we expand the tournament, I think that opens up those spots. I really do think Canadian teams would excel in that. Um, Some of those Canadian players who deserve that exposure. There's a lot of talent up there for sure. Mm -hmm. A lot of of talent up there. A lot of the guys scattered around through the college game and even the NBA that are Canadian that a lot of people don't even know about. So Exactly. Should be exciting. Um, I think that's interesting though. I I mean, what, what led you to that? You know, to including Canadian teams. I, I mean, because I, I, because I, I can see you know the expansion and the, and I can see where everything's going. But like, wh- why Canadian teams? Is is it that talent? Is it the fact that that's outside of the United States where a lot of the talent comes from? You see, the big thing when I heard that they were expanding the tournament, it just bugged me that it was going to be 
you know, it kind of almost seemed to me at the time, it doesn't anymore, but it seemed to me at the time where they were just going to include more Power 5, and I was like, no, we need more automatic bids. Where can we get more conferences? And I went, we have a country to the north of us that's just as obsessed with basketball (laughs) as we are, and honestly, they may be, you know, mid-range D1 level, but they're mid-range D1 level, which is good enough for the tournament. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, I checked NCAA rules. Um, They are allowed to join the NCAA. There was one Canadian team that tried to join, I think it was a D3 conference. That's really interesting. Actually, I've never heard that before. I think they still play in that conference, um, but a single team right on the border... You know, that's interesting. It is in the NCAA rules that it's allowed. So they would. So you're saying so they would have to be considered like NCAA teams, and I I think so for Mm -hmm. it to work. So that that leads into what I want to talk about because for them to be NCAA teams, they have to have mascots. Oh, absolutely. And I have a big beef with college sports in general, and all these stupid commercials putting out all of the mascots that we already know and don't care about. I don't need any more Duke Blue Devil advertisements on my TV. (laughs) I don't need any of it. I know who that guy is. It's not interesting. There's so many other more interesting mascots. They used to do all kinds of crazy shit with these mascots in Capital One and all stuff like that. I don't know what happened. I pulled up a list. I know we were talking pre-show about some weird stuff like the Stanford tree and all that. I love the tree. I I hate the Stanford tree. I think the Stanford tree looks like something from Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. And that shows your age. It does. It It shows your age a lot. But I just don't, I don't like it. I, I, (laughs) so I'm leaning, like, give me Yosef the Mountaineer. Oh, absolutely. I love absolutely. that. Like, just, just give me, like, that guy with, like, a fake bottle of moonshine or something, just, like, <laughs> dancing around on a Capital One. I, I don't know. Great. There's, like, I, I transferred from Akron, guys. Like, I, I just spent all that time with Zippy. Like, I just, <laughs> I, I think Sparty's cool. I think Sparty's very Sparty. cool. Like, the, the, the outfit is awesome. Like, he looks very cool. But, like, you know, Sparty is in all of those ads. Yeah. But I think that's cool. And, obviously, I go here, but, like, the Blue Devil, everybody knows the Blue Devil. Everybody knows mm-hmm. the North Carolina Tar Heel. Exactly. Everybody yeah. knows those mascots. And also, everybody, like, those fan bases are massive. Like, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Those people don't care. if they're. It's not cool for a North Carolina fan that they're in that commercial. They don't care. Right. They, they, it's been done. Yeah. Like, they, yeah. They, they, everything about being a North Carolina fan is cool. You're a North Carolina fan. Like, you got to watch Michael Jordan. Like, fair, you know, fair. like you've, you've, won, you've watched a ton of national titles. Like, you aren't thinking about, oh, look at the cool commercial. Like, give the, give the people <laughs> in Akron, the people in, like, places like Apple, App State, give them something cool. Give them something cool where everything cool isn't just like, oh, yeah, like, we are four and eight, but we upset somebody. Like, hooray, Akron. Like, yes. feature the cool things. Like, because Zippy is cool. Like Zippy I've, is cool. What Yo- does Zippy look like? It's a kangaroo. Oh, it's the kangaroo. It's, it's that a kangaroo. one. I thought for it's some reason one. it was like a lightning bolt, just no. like dressed up. Yeah. It's the kangaroo. I love um, that. Yeah, it's a kangaroo. Um, Personally, but, I'm yeah. partial to Cayenne, the Raging Cajuns mascot. That's great too. <laughs> you know, the pepper. I love it. You know, I, that's that's my favorite team name. Just the Raging, Raging Cajuns. Raging Cajuns is I, crazy. I love that. And I just, I don't know. I just, uh, maybe, maybe I'm old. Maybe Kylie's right. But I, I just remember, <laughs> like, they used to parade out these weird mascots and have them everywhere. Like, it was just, it was in commercial. And, of course, part of that is just, like, network TV and yeah, commercials and yeah. stuff isn't as big. But, like, I still think they could do more. And especially, like, for the NCAA tournament with mm-hmm. basketball when all of those schools actually are involved. Bring the mascot. Yeah, don't don't give me a commercial with Duke in North Carolina, especially yeah. when North Carolina's not even in the tournament. That was my yeah. biggest pet peeve. They're not peeve. even in the oh, tournament. That was my pet peeve with those commercials. I was yeah. like, they're not even in there. 
there. I, I just thought of that. That's why I got a little heated there for a second. Yeah. But I just thought it. They're not even in the tournament. Yeah. So but frustrating. Like, it's, it's annoying. And mm-hmm. I I think there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Plus, it just makes it sillier. Like, this is college sports. Like, let it be fun. Yeah. Let exactly. it be goofy. Yeah. It doesn't, like, you know, it, it, everybody's moving on to something bigger and better eventually. Like, it, right. guys are going to the NBA. Guys are going overseas. Like, whatever it is. It's not the final stop for anybody other than the head coaches. Right. Who, even then, it's yeah, half of them, their goal is that's to true make too. NBA it's not, too. It's not even the final stop for a lot of them. Yeah. But, no, that's, that's my thing because – well, and a lot of these schools pride themselves on having weird mascots. Yeah. Like the schools that suck at a lot of sports and yeah, stuff. Yeah, if, like, I, if I went to a school where sports weren't great, but I had a cool mascot, I'd be repping that mascot I just constantly. did that for four years. That, that was my life. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, no, I, I, just think, I just think that's that's something to be uh, talked about, especially. And no, for sure. it's, you know, Yosef the Mountaineer. I'm just going to keep going back to it. It's a great name. Yeah. It's a great name. No, he, I agree. He, he, needs to be out, he needs to be out there more. <laughs> Don't want to get sidetracked. Capital we have one, if you're listening, yeah. get Yosef on that. <laughs> That's commercial. fair. Get him on yes. there. We, we do have one more full court press. We wanted to lead with the other two because there's a little bit more of a different tone to this one. Yes. But Kylie really wanted to talk about the Keontae Johnson story. Yes. I love Keontae Johnson. So for everyone who is not necessarily familiar with it, So he played at Florida for, I believe, four years he was at Florida. And um, two years ago, they were in the middle of the game. He was on the court coming coming back in after a timeout, and he collapsed um, out of nowhere due to some complications with his heart. And he was taken to the hospital, and it was, you know, there for a while. He could not come back and play a senior season due to restrictions because of that. Um, I believe they said it was myocarditis is what he has, which is inflammation within the heart muscles and any strenuous activity, things like that could be detrimental to your health i mean it could lead to heart attacks death things like very scary things like that and then so this year he transferred for his final season went to kansas state had a phenomenal year he played great he was um i believe a third team all-american he looked great in the tournament they went to the elite eight huge thanks to him for doing that he is a huge inspiration at least for me personally um i was diagnosed with myocarditis at the end of my junior year in high school So I was unable to play my senior year of sports, which was really hard for me. But being able to see him bounce back from all that and have such a great year is something so heartwarming and so inspiring. And it was just really great for me to see and be like, dang, like I could do that. Like if he can come back from all of this, I know I can come back and I can lead the life that I want to lead just like he does. So I just wanted to shout that out. He's a huge inspiration. And it was just really, really fun watching him succeed this past season. So yeah, it was definitely an awesome story. You know, awesome to hear you share that too. I mean, it's, it sucks about the senior year, but it's nice. It seems like you were able to rebound from that in a mm-hmm. positive way and and use this story as inspiration, which is very cool. You know, I, I think that's one of the best parts of sports yeah. is that so many people can use them to look to other people's struggles and channel that into overcoming things themselves. And I I think that's a really great note to end on, especially because, you know, we talk about all these things with the transfer portal and this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, there's still just people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really great note to end on just because I love, you know, riffing about transfer portal this and transfer portal that and who sucks or who shouldn't go here, who shouldn't (laughs) go there, or who's overrated. But like, at the end of the day, like the best stories are the ones like this. Yes. And Absolutely. I, I think that's great that you brought that up. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, that's really yeah. awesome. Good comeback story. Everyone loves a good comeback story. So. Absolutely. All right. That is it for us this week. We will be back next week with another episode. 
We will keep you updated on that. We have our Twitter up. You can follow us at Check the Net 2023. Kylie is running that. They yes. did not. They did not want me running the Twitter. No, I knew it'd be bad if you ran it. So yeah. I'm going to run so it. They've been making fun of me for being old all podcast. <laughs> for for quick Sorry. context, I am 27 going on 28. It is fair of them to make fun of me for being old. Yeah, we are. So we are both freshmen at MSU. So. Yep. I'm oh, tech- no. a lot I'm older. <laughs> lots, lots of people go to s- school for seven years, guys. No, well, well, okay, maybe. They do, but they go to be yeah. doctors. The, the best part, or lawyers. The best part is, is you guys are too young to even get that quote because it's yeah. from Tommy Boy. So, oh, oh I yeah. have actually seen Tommy yep. Boy. It's been a no, while though. Fantastic. That. We will be back next week, guys. Thank you for everything.